Hey friends, you recognize me? Hey, <laughs> good to see you. I'm Matt, if you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's, uh, it's just a delight to be with you guys today. Um, we're going to take the offering now, so ushers come on down, we're going to pass those baskets, and as they do, allow me to say just uh, two more things by way of announcements before we get into the message this morning. Uh, number one is that this coming Saturday, uh, November 5th, it's crazy to think we're talking about November. It's like a couple days away. Uh, but November 5th is uh, at 9 a.m. is our Vivo classes uh, first anniversary celebration. So ladies, if you're 18 or over, you are invited to come. You don't have to have been to Vivo before. It's kind of a movement-based class. But to come, experience, enjoy, be together, celebrate that class, and um, uh, spend the morning together just uh, from 9 to 10.30 a.m. here at our Essex campus. You can register on Church Center. Check it out, but just wanted you guys to know you're invited. I'm told it's going to be a great event. Of course, I, I don't get to go, but I, I'd love to hear how it is for those of you that do go. So check that out on Church Center. Uh, so second quick thing is that today is our Trunk or Treat event down at our North Avenue campus in Burlington. So uh, first of all, it's sunny. This is a miracle. Last year it was raining. The year before that was COVID restrictions. The year before that was COVID restrictions. And the year before that, it was raining. So this is like God has smiled upon us today. Uh, It's sunny. Those of you who donated candy, Thank you. Those of you who are going to be there today, handing out candy, dressing up, decorating your trunk, making coffee, whatever it is you're doing, thank you for being a part of that. And uh, for the rest of you who didn't sign up to volunteer, uh, come and enjoy, please. If you got kids, you got grandkids, you got neighbors with kids, you got friends with kids, just say, hey, come on, let's go get some free candy. Come down to North Ave, say hi, spend a few minutes with us. It's going to be an awesome day down there. So that's 1 to 3 p.m., 909 North Avenue. Nope, that's my address, 901 North Avenue. Avenue is the, um, is the church address. Uh, please don't block my car when you get there. Um, so uh, trunk or treat today. Uh, I was up here a couple weeks ago. Last week, uh, you met Trevor Skalberg, who's our new district superintendent. Love Trevor. Excited for him. I was here the week before that. You may or may not remember. That's okay. I won't hold it against you. But I mentioned that morning that uh, I'd be here a few times over the next month, kind of randomly as Pastor Scott's away or unavailable, and interjecting into the current sermon series. He's been leading us through on wisdom, the one-question sermon series. And again, maybe you remember this, maybe not. It doesn't matter, but I'm just going to say it. I mentioned that in these kind of random times I'm here, I'm going to be each time just talking about a different one of Jesus' lesser-known or less popular parables as we we gather together. And today we're going to just dive in and look at Luke chapter 18 and look at a parable called the parable of the persistent widow. But before we get to scripture and set into the message, I'm going to ask church, can we just pray together for a second? And, and um, yeah, let's pray as we come to the word. God, uh, we are here. For whatever reason, we are here. And you are here. So open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see. And Lord, would you speak to us this morning from your word, not from Matt's word, from your word. Would you speak to us in Jesus' name? Amen. So we're just going to get into the parable of the persistent widow. We're going to be in Luke 18. We're going to start in verse 1, and we'll read a couple verses, and then we'll pause and talk and kind of do that a few times and draw out some meaning for us today, talk about this parable as we go. So we'll go to verse 1. We'll start in verses 1 through 3. And uh, this passage starts like this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable 
to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Uh, just real quick, I, I really love when the Bible just tells us what it means, <laughs> right? Just straight up like, hey, this parable is about praying. Don't give up praying. Love it. So uh, as we read through this parable, we got to have that meaning in that lesson in mind as we read through the rest of this parable. Don't give up praying. Always pray. Never cease. Here we go. Verse two. So Jesus, he starts the parable, the story. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. We'll pause. So Jesus starts the parable, he kind of sets the scene and introduces us to a couple characters. Now remember, parables are stories that are designed to teach us something. They're designed to teach us something. And uh, parables are not true stories. This didn't actually happen. But this story is uh, truthful in that it could happen. It's plausible. It's in the realm of truth. Something that we can relate to as we uh, listen to it. So uh, Jesus starts the story that there's a town and there's a judge in that town. He says, who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Sounds like a good dude right? Doesn't care, doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people. He's a judge who doesn't care about doing his job well. He doesn't care about God who he's accountable to and who he's supposed to represent to the people by enforcing God's law. And he doesn't care about people who he's supposed to work on behalf of. And I wonder, do you know someone like this? right? Someone who's just the, the wrong person in the wrong job, just totally in the wrong profession, right? And you can't help but look at them and be like, yeah, really? You're doing that? Why? You're miserable and you're making everyone else miserable, right? I think we all know someone like that. Uh, my fourth grade teacher was like that. <laughs> Mrs. Broderick was her name. She taught fourth grade at the small uh, Catholic school I went to growing up uh, through fourth grade was my last year there, coincidentally. And uh, it was clear from the first time that I met Mrs. Broderick in the orientation, you know, a couple weeks before school or whatever. And uh, mind you, I'm a fourth grader, right? What am I, 10, 11 years old? It was clear Mrs. Broderick hated kids. She just absolutely hated kids. She despised us. I mean, she was mean. She was impatient. She didn't care if you were being bullied. She would come back from lunch, like, smelling like cigarettes and rolling her eyes at us. And just, like, she absolutely hated us. And she, like, she's an elementary school teacher, right? Kids are kind of a big part of the job that you've got. She was miserable, and she made all of us uh, kids miserable because it was clear she, she wasn't interested in us. In fact, she, uh, <laughs> she couldn't stand us. And that was evident every day. And uh, Miss Broderick was actually the last straw for me. Uh, like I said, that was the last year I was, went to Catholic school and I transferred to public schools the next year. And even my dad, who very Catholic, very committed to the church and raising us in the Catholic church was like, yeah, okay, I get it. You can, you can go to public school. I get, I get it. <laughs> So that's this judge, right? He's the wrong guy in the wrong job. He doesn't care. He's not just, I'm guessing. We, and we should assume he's unwilling to go out of his way and inconvenience himself to do the job he's supposed to do. Enforce God's law. Bring justice to people. And a widow comes to him, we're told, every day, keeps coming to him over and over and over with a plea, a plea, 
not just a request, a plea. And her plea was to grant me justice against my adversary. She comes, this widow, again and again, day after day, asking for justice against her adversary. And it's clear the judge is not giving her the justice she's seeking because he does not care about her. He doesn't want to waste his time helping her. Judge is not doing justice. Now, I think there's two things worth noting about this widow. The first thing is that she is a widow. It's a detail worth noting in this story. Now, in the ancient world, Jesus' time and before, widows were a particularly vulnerable group of people. The ancient world was very patriarchal. Men were the ones who had jobs. They're the ones who could own land. They're the ones who were in charge of the household. And it was the role of women to get married and have children and take care of the kids. The husband was the one to provide and do everything else. So if the husband of a woman died, she'd have nothing left for herself, right? No significant way to make an income, typically. Typically, women were not allowed to own land. So if the husband died, she would have to be trusted in the care of a family member, extended family, or if she had an adult child, that child would be in charge of caring for her. But that was still no guarantee. A widow was in a very vulnerable position in that culture and in that society. No income, no land, no one to help provide for her and protect her. Now, in the Bible, if you read through both Old and New Testament, widows are grouped together with some other vulnerable people in society. Orphans, slaves, poor, and the foreigners who were living among the Israelites. And God gives special instructions to his people to protect the vulnerable groups of people among them. Throughout scripture, God sees these vulnerable people and tells Israel, his covenant people, to care for them. And he says specifically of widows, treat them with honor and compassion and provide for them so that no one will take advantage of them. So in this parable, we have a widow one of the most vulnerable members of society who God specifically tells us or tells his people, this judge included, take care of them. And she's pleading for justice for the very help that God has promised through his people. And yet, the judge ignores her pleas. The second thing I want to note about this widow is the content of her plea, what she's asking for. Coming again and again, she's asking, grant me justice against my adversary. This is an odd request, right? She's not coming asking for, for food or for shelter or any sort of special privilege. She's asking for justice against her adversary. So apparently she has an enemy or some sort of opponent at least. We're not quite sure. We don't have the, any idea about who the adversary is, what injustice had been done to her. Jesus doesn't give us those details, but he says um, we can assume that some injustice was done to her. And she deserves justice to be done, even more so given that she's one of these people that God has told his people, protect them, widow. Uh, The Greek word, we have it translated in the New International Version that I've been reading from today as the word justice. And the Greek word, the original word, can be thought of in a couple of different ways. This word justice. A few English translations use the word avenge 
instead of justice. Avenge me against my adversary. So if the widow's coming asking to be avenged, what she'd be asking for was, uh, you know, harm to be inflicted upon the person that harmed her, right? Retribution, vengeance, the eye for an eye kind of thing, right? That's what she'd be asking for. But this word also uh, rightly can be translated as justice. And there are a couple ways we can think about the meaning of justice, a couple definitions. The first definition for justice really is about the administration of the law, a legal term, right? Um, Some unjust act was committed, the law was broken, so the law will be properly applied to the situation, justice. This might include punishment for the offender and or restitution for the victim, legal definition of, of justice. But justice is not just a legal term. It's also a moral term. Justice can also mean and be defined as sort of moral correctness or fairness or equity. Essentially, do the right thing. Do what's right. Do right by a person in relation to their situation and their status, whether it has to do with the law or not. Justice can at the same time mean uh, holding a corrupt regime accountable for crimes committed against their own people and caring for the refugee that comes to you from that country. It can mean bringing the arsonist to court for burning down your house. It can also mean caring for the family that's house was burned down, helping provide shelter and food and all that. It can mean both those things, and it does mean both those things. So the widow is asking for justice. Now, remember, this is a parable. The story's meant to teach us something, and parables are often intentionally vague. So you may ask, well, what kind of justice does the widow want? What's she asking for? And I think the answer is just, yeah, she wants justice. She wants the law to be applied rightly to her situation and uh, for the judge to do what is right for her. And for the judge, this should be a no-brainer, right? He should, his job is to properly apply the law, especially to the vulnerable widow who God has said specifically, care for this person, And he should be compelled to act at the first request, both legally and morally. But he doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about people. So the widow comes and persists again and again, day after day, pleading her case, seeking the justice she knows she deserves. Let's read on verses 4 and 5. Jesus goes on, he says, for some time he refused the judge. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. It's practical. Um, I think every parent in the room, we can kind of sympathize with the judge on this one, right? The thought process he's at, she comes again and again and again, and finally, fine, I'll do it, right? Stop bothering me about it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Just go away. I think, parents, you know, you know, you know, you know. We were on vacation this uh, last week, our family. We got back late Tuesday night, and um, we were away visiting family, and it was my mother-in-law's birthday, so we were celebrating together, and we we had a great time, had a blast. Uh, there, but as many of you are well aware, for some reason, vacation is just can be absolutely exhausting, right? So uh, we get back late Tuesday night uh, from this great vacation, and uh, just some, as, as an aside, we we 
we limit screen times for our kids. That's just how we live our life. We don't watch a lot of TV. They don't, well, they don't watch a lot of TV. And uh, they each have a Kindle, you know, a little tablet, but we, we don't let them use it every day. And when they do, there's a time limit. But there's one exception to that, and that is on an airplane. Go nuts, kids. We're trying to get from point A to point B, right? Just watch as much TV as you want on your Kindle. It doesn't matter, right? A six-year-old and eight-year-old boy on an airplane can get uh, quite wiggly. So we just zone in, like lock into that screen, kids. You got, we just got to get there. We got to get there. So one exception. Anyway, we're on vacation. And uh, we come back one day from some outing. I can't remember. And, and um, I'm taking a minute to myself. I'm just in the living room. Taylor and some of her family are sitting outside and... You know, I'm, I'm just like sitting there staring at the ceiling because I'm, I'm with my in-laws and I'm kidding, I love them. And, and my kids, right, I love them too. But, you know, it's tired, long day, out in the sun, all that tired. So I'm just sitting there and then uh, the kids come to me. I'm the first adult they find. <laughs> Dad, can we use our Kindles? And I say, no, I'm like, no, why don't you guys go read or jump in the pool, go do something else, go have fun. And then it starts, right, the pleases. Please, Dad, please, please, we haven't watched our Kindles all day, please, 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 please. And I'm tired, and I'm sitting there, and the pleases are coming from both sides, and I'm just like, fine, fine, go, just go, leave me alone, right? And they skip off, yay, and get their Kindles and do their thing. And Taylor comes inside a few minutes later, and she's like, where are the kids? And <laughs> like, oh, they're on their Kindles. And she gives me that look like, really? You're just going to let them on the... And I'm just like, yeah, for, for the sake of our marriage, I didn't say much else. <laughs> to but, you know, parents, we know that feeling. Fine, just go, just do whatever, just stop bothering me. Just give me, some, give me a minute, please. We know it. Grand, uh, grandparents, though, I, we see you. We parents, we see you, grandparents, and how you operate. It's a little different. One day on vacation, uh, we're eating dinner, and, and Taylor's dad, he um, was trying to get the kids to eat whatever they're eating, you know. And he tells them, all right, whoever finishes first gets to pick out breakfast tomorrow. And, you know, they finish. And Levi, the six-year-old, he finishes first. And uh, he's, Grandpa's thinking, oh, just get them to eat, and by morning they'll forget. But no, no. No, no, Levi does not forget. Before he goes to bed, Grandpa, I get to pick out breakfast tomorrow. All right. Morning comes along. I'm still in bed at this point, so I hear about this afterwards. But Levi went and found Grandpa nice and early. And uh, Grandpa, I get to pick out breakfast today. And we're, he's hoping uh, eggs or cereal, something that's around the house already. And uh, Levi wants to make darn goods for breakfast. And if you don't know what a darn good is, you should. It's uh, basically just like biscuit dough soaked in butter and sugar and then baked. It's like a donut almost. I mean, they are darn good. They are delicious. And that's what Levi wants for breakfast. So 7.30 a.m., Grandpa and Levi go get stuff to make darn goods, right? Levi persists. Grandpa gives in, not out of that frustration, but love for his grandson, right? Anyway, just to say, grandparents, we see you. We know. We know what you're up to, Okay. <laughs> But we all know the feeling, whether you don't have to be a parent or grandparent to know that feeling, that moment where you're just like, fine, go away, I'll do it, stop bothering me, right? We all know that feeling. That's where the judge is at with this widow. The widow has persisted in her pleas every day, coming and asking for justice, the same thing, pleading her case, uh, laying out her cause. Uh, even this unjust, uncaring, doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people, says to her, fine, I'll just do it, just 
get off my back. She persists, and the judge gives in and grants her request. So this is how my, where my brain goes at this point as I read this. Maybe yours does too, maybe not. But my brain goes to this question. This parable is about prayer, right? We're told that right at the beginning. So is this how God is? That when we pray and when we ask again and again, he, he, he just acquiesces? Fine, Matt, I'll do it. Is that how God is? Well, let's finish the story. And then we'll come back to that question. These last couple of verses is kind of the lesson of the parable where Jesus tacks on to the end some meaning as we, uh, as we finish up the parable. So verse 6 says, The Lord said, that's Jesus, he says as he wraps up the parable, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So is God like the unjust judge? And are we like the widow, annoying him with our requests until he does what what we want him to? The parable starts with us being told that we should always pray and not stop. Should we be like the widow, continuing to ask till God gives in? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Yes, we should not stop asking. Yes, we should persist in prayer, never stopping, never ceasing, never holding back from praying and asking God for the deepest desires of our hearts. We should never stop. But no, God is not like the unjust judge. God does not get annoyed with our asking, and we cannot annoy him into giving in. That's not God. What Jesus says in these last couple verses as he wraps up the parable is essentially the judge is unjust and uncaring, and yet even he will grant justice and do what's right, even if it takes a minute. How much more will God, who loves you, and chose you, and created you, and cares for you, how much more will he, the just God, answer you? So be persistent. Don't give up. Don't stop asking, because God is on your side. I think prayer is kind of a mysterious thing. And when we talk about prayer, I often walk away with more questions than answers. So uh, while I was on vacation with my feet in the sand, staring out at the waves and the wind and the water and down in the warm, sunny beaches of Florida, (laughs) I was thinking about this parable and thinking about prayer, and I took out my phone and just started typing questions into my notes app on my phone. And here's just some of the questions that I wrote down while sitting on the beach in Florida, getting tan and... Don't want to make you too jealous. Here's some questions. Uh, Does prayer work? Does God really care? God has so much to worry about. I don't, will I bother him with my little request? Do I even need to pray? Can't God just read my thoughts? 
Why does God want us to pray? He can just automatically do what he wants to and what we want him to. Does God want every prayer to be persistent like the widow's prayer? Isn't asking once enough? Will he forget? (laughs) Do I need more faith to have my prayers answered? There's a lot of questions we have about prayer and that we could ask about prayer. It is, in some ways, a mysterious thing. God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present, right? He lives in us and with us, yet he says, come to me and ask and don't stop asking. Again and again, be like the widow. (coughs) Persist, never cease. Cry out from the depths of our soul again and again. Now, I don't have every answer to every question about prayer. But something I do know about prayer is that when we pray, God meets us. When we pray, God meets us. In small prayers and in big prayers, God meets us. I used to have this rhythm in my life. This has been a while. But I used to take one day a month. I'd make sure it was a work day. I'd take one day a month (laughs) and go have a little prayer retreat by myself. Just bring my Bible and, um, and spend four, five, six hours alone reading scripture and praying. Uh, this was, I was doing this a lot when I lived on Cape Cod. And behind our church property there, there was a state park and woods and trails and ponds and, you know, all that good stuff. So I'd go often with my hammock on nice days into the woods there on these uh, monthly little retreats and set up and put my phone away and read scripture, sit in silence and pray. I haven't done that in a while. And those times alone with nothing to do but talk to God were some of the, (laughs) those times were when God's presence was most palpable to me. And you want, you know, it's easy to see why. You cut out the noise, you cut out the to-do list, the what's next, and you just go. Now, I know he's always with me and his Holy Spirit lives in me and, and I pray regularly, right? And it's hard. It's hard to get away and cut out the noise and, and find real moments, not just jamming prayer in between now, what's then and what's next. And... But I know that when, God, when we pray, God's presence becomes palpable and, and he meets with us. And, and when I can find those moments now in my life, really whether it's a quick prayer here and there or whether it's extended time to cut out the noise and just be and sit in silence and not just talk at God, but listen, right, to be quiet before him, God never fails to meet me there. God meets us when we pray. It's true. I know it. I've experienced it. And when we pray regularly, I think something happens. I think, I think God builds on those prayers whether it's for the same thing again and again like the widow or for different things, God builds each time we meet with him. Like any conversation, right? You come in, there's a starting point, and the next time there's a next step and the next step and the next step. God is building. He's building you. And oftentimes what he's doing is he's, he's building your trust in him or your understanding or your perspective, and he's building you. When we never stop, when we come again and again, He meets with us and he builds. He builds you.
God meets with us when we pray. So, yes, be like the widow. Don't stop. You're not too low to come to God. No one is. Again and again and again. Keep praying. I want to come in as we come to the end a little bit here and go back to the content of the widow's prayer and what she was asking and talk about that word justice a little bit more. Because while the parable opens with a word about the story being a lesson about prayer, and it is, I think it's also a lesson to us about justice. Because it ends with Jesus talking about how God will not only answer prayers, but bring about justice for his chosen ones, it says. That he will do so quickly. We cry out day and night. I think Jesus kind of weaves together justice and prayer in this parable. So let me offer a few words, kind of a perspective on justice for us this morning. Uh, In the first pages of the Bible... First chapter, we are told that humans, all humans, male and female, are created by God in the image of God. That means a couple things. Number one, it means we are all equal before him, right? None of us is greater. None of us is lesser. We're all created in the image of God. And it also means that we all have an inherent dignity and worth and deserve to be treated fairly according to that dignity and worth. We also learn, not too long after that, that the world doesn't really work this way anymore because we messed it up pretty good, right? Sin causes humans to look at one another in a lot of unfortunate ways, some of those ways being how we can take advantage of one another or how we can step over each other, self-preservation or self-exaltation. And that effect of sin is that for many the weaker we perceive a person to be, the easier it is for us to see how we can take advantage of them. Whether that's individuals taking advantage of individuals or civilizations taking advantage of civilizations. God's justice, biblical justice, is not just concerned with doing the right thing or applying the correct law to a particular situation. God's justice is about resetting humanity's ability to see that inherent dignity that we all carry with us because we are all created by God in his image. We are all equal in that way. And God wants to reset that. In the Old Testament, there are a couple words that we translate into English as justice. The first one is a Hebrew word, tzedakah. Now, tzedakah is often translated as righteousness as well, but this word means kind of doing good or being good, doing what's right, and it's often used kind of as an ethical standard for relationships, treating each other this way as fellow image bearers of God, and that righteous kind of person-to-person thing. That's one uh, word in the Old Testament. The second word is this Hebrew word mishpat, Now, mishpat has two kind of, it translates as justice, but there's really two ways it's used. One, it's used to talk about retributive justice, right? This is suffering the consequences for your actions, because actions do have a consequence. Eye for an eye, that kind of thing. But more often in the Old Testament, that word mishpat refers to uh, restorative justice, Essentially, restorative justice is 
that helping people thing, right? Seeking out those who are vulnerable and taking steps to care for them and even going beyond that to help organize and structure our society and culture to not take advantage of them and to give them the dignity that they have when often they would be left behind. So it's not just like a personal thing, it's a community thing, this mishpat definition. God is concerned with justice and he's concerned with us doing and helping in that work of justice amongst ourselves. Let me just read a few verses from the Old Testament which God uh, says some things about restorative justice, this kind of thought process here. Here's Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. These are God's words. He says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and needy. I think our unjust judge missed that memo. Here's Jeremiah 22, 3. This is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And uh, here's Psalm 146, verses 7 through 9. Again, this is uh, talking of the Lord. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. That's that word zedakah that I just talked about. The one who does good and treats others with dignity, right? He loves that person. He loves when we do that. And verse 9, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Much of the Old Testament, especially if you look into the, into the law, is concerned with, with justice, with treating others with the dignity they deserve, and structuring society so as not to leave them vulnerable, but to restore them to a place of dignity. When God set about the standards for his people... His people Israel, who he called out of Egypt, he said to them first, be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You're going to be different from everyone else. You're going to be like me, is what he said to them. Then he gives them the law. And so much of the law is about caring for and restoring the dignity of vulnerable people. Widows, orphans, slaves, foreigners, all had certain protection given to them so that they would not be taken advantage of in God's society. The most vulnerable people were protected by the law that God gave. And as an example, here's Exodus 22. This is, comes from God's law. He says, Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. Verse 24, my anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. These are strong words from God, right? God says, if you take advantage of vulnerable people, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) And your wife will be without a husband and your children will be fatherless. Those are strong words. I don't think God's messing around with this. 
He wants us to help bring about justice and live in such a way that we restore the vulnerable to a place of dignity as image bearers. God wants to work his justice. He's always working justice. And when that trumpet sounds and Jesus descends on the clouds and comes back to us, he will come and complete his justice on the earth. And until that time, he wants us to do the work. God is working his justice. He wants us to do the work of justice. And one day, he will complete his justice. So why talk about justice so much when this parable is about prayer? Well, because I think Jesus makes it about justice a little bit. The widow asks for justice in verse 7. That's her request. And the parable ends in verse 7 with Jesus talking about how God is going to bring about justice in connection with our prayers to those who ask, who cry out day and night to his chosen. And he could have used anything in this parable as an example. He could have used the widow asking for food or money or healing, and all of those would have been right and good to ask for. But Jesus chose to use justice as the widow's request. And I don't think that's an accident. I think he's making a connection here. Because God wants to do justice for you, he wants to do justice for the world, and through you, for the world around you. God wants to do justice. And I think this parable invites us into that justice process, first of all, to seek him in it. To seek justice with him and through him and to trust that he is on your side and will deliver justice to you and through you to the world. And I think justice is one of those things we need to be persistent about as well, like the widow. There's so much in this world that's just broken So if justice, those things get put on the back burner, it's really easy for them to get left there, to get swallowed up in the busyness and brokenness of everything else. So whether it's something that you need or something you're asking on behalf of someone else or hoping for them, we need to be persistent, persistent in our prayers about justice, persistent in our action about it as well, seeking justice from the one true God and seeing each other and allowing ourselves to be restored, have our vision restored, so we can see our fellow image bearers as God sees them. (coughs) Final word Jesus says in this parable, he asks a question. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Persistent prayer and solidarity with the vulnerable and oppressed, I think seeking justice through prayer and action, those are signs of faith. Those are signs of faith. When Jesus comes again, will he find us on our knees pleading to him? When he comes again, will he find people doing the good and hard work of caring for the widow and the orphan, of the refugee and the poor? Will he find us doing those things? living the faith we, prof- we profess, trusting him and working and caring for people. Justice is not a political buzzword or anything like that. Justice is God's business. This is what he set about to do, to work it, to have us help and work it as well, and to come again to complete it. 
Justice is God's business, setting right what we broke through sin on the cross and in his coming again so that we can see each other how he sees us as image bearers. The persistent widow teaches us a few things. This parable teaches us to never give up praying for what matters. It teaches us that no one is too low to come to God, the just and good judge. It teaches us that God hears our prayers. The persistent widow teaches us that justice is one of God's concerns. And, and when we come to him, he will act to do justice for us. And it teaches us that we should join that work, not just through prayer, but yes, through prayer, but through working to bring justice to the vulnerable in our communities as well. So don't stop praying. Never cease. Don't give up. God hears you. God sees you. He's on your side. And God will and does act decisively for his people. I want to end today by praying together. I want to end by praying together the Lord's Prayer. Now, many of you know and are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Many of you might not be, and that's okay. We're going to have the words on the screen. But this prayer is how Jesus taught his people to pray, his disciples, in Matthew chapter 6. He said, when you pray, pray like this. And he kind of set out a, a prayer for us. And through the centuries, the millennia now of the church, as people have gathered together to worship him, to seek him, this prayer has become a cornerstone of the prayer life of God's people, seeking him for provision, for trust, and yes, for justice as well. So church, I'd ask that as we close today, would you stand with me if you're able? And we're going to pray together out loud the Lord's Prayer. You'll see the words on the screen. So if you don't have it memorized, that's all right. So we'll pray this together. Would you uh, pray along with me, church, in the words our Savior gave us? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Good to be with you this morning, church. Hopefully we'll see you at Trunk or Treat. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your week. God bless you as you go. 